We want to look back at the history that originally motivated a federal takeover of state and local voting rules back in the 1960s. We reached out to Judy Richardson, filmmaker who produced the civil rights documentary Eyes on the Prize. But in the 1960s, she was on the ground with the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee in the South. And Charles Cobb is an author whose latest book is On the Road to Freedom, a guided tour of the civil rights trail. He was also on the ground as a college student from the North. And he was not prepared for what he saw in those tense days before the Voting Rights Act came into being. Well, the most striking thing about the experience is someone who's coming from Massachusetts and Washington, D.C., where I was in school, was the violence. In the deep, deep South, I worked in the Mississippi Delta. It was fundamentally violence that was used to keep people from registering to vote or voting. And after the violence, the violence was rationalized and not the other way around. There was no real intellectual argument against people uh, registering to vote. It was basically, we don't want these black people voting. Judy, how about you? Yeah, I would agree with Charles. But for me, you know, I'm coming from Tarrytown, New York, you know, where the policeman is your friend and, you know, and you suddenly come into these southern communities where um, it's not only that the state governments want you dead, that they say you're going against states' rights and the state's ability to govern voting rights, but also that the federal government, who I assumed would, you know, protect us, that they are, you know, taking notes and not doing diddly. And so I guess for me, it was the non-protection of anybody outside of the community, uh, the black community that was really protecting folks. So you had a dual mission, or maybe it was all rolled into one. You were information gatherers, but you also had to be activists to even begin to have the chance to get that information. Right, Charles? Uh, We weren't information gatherers. We were in these communities because older people had told us that what was fundamentally needed was voting rights. That was not an idea that existed. Remember, we were up against 100 years of people being told that they were inferior and really that they weren't qualified to vote. Judy, how did that reluctance, that lack of information, that sense of real fear to try to exercise your right to vote, how did that become the case that was eventually made for the Voting Rights Act itself? Well, at bottom, it's how do you get black people registered to vote without getting them killed? Now, under that, um, one of the things is that you started seeing one by one people being brave enough. And we're talking, I mean, people getting killed for trying to just put their names on the rolls to register. Little by little, you'd have two people, you'd have five people, you'd have seven people at a mass meeting to talk about this is what you should be prepared for when you go down to register. Yes, You know, you could be beaten, but this is what you're trying to do. And these are the questions that they'll try and ask. The other side always knew how important the vote was. That's why they would kill people and burn churches and do all of the things that they did to try and stop the vote, because the vote really is the great equalizer. As you say, one by one, people stepped up. People really defied the prevailing notions of fear and intolerance. I'm seeing faces, but you know exactly who it is that were those one-by-ones who stepped forward. Charles, do you remember any of those faces? Well, yeah, I was with Fannie Lou Hamer the first time she tried to register to vote. And I remember when the circuit clerk just shut down the office where you went to register to vote because there were too many black people trying to register to vote. By too many, that meant 17 black people. A guy named Charles McLaurin brought the first three black people to try and register to vote in Sunflower County in the 20th century. Three little women who he called my little old ladies. 
and Mac was telling me when I asked him how it went, he said there was a whole mob at the county courthouse waiting for them. And one of the little ladies uh, grabbed him by the hand and said, son, are we going on in now? And they walked in and Mac told me, he says, that's the day I became a man. Amazing. And let's let me just ask you a tough question here at the end. Um, Is it possible that some of the communities in the South could make the argument that the Voting Rights Act was very important in America, but is it really meant to be a permanent sort of pariah status for us that we have to be watched by the feds forever, that we're not permitted to get beyond this on our own? Do they have an argument in saying that, Charles? Uh, the years that have passed between the passage of the Voting Rights Act and now are not forever. Uh, If you're asking me, will you need a Voting Rights Act 200 years from now? I can't say. But if you're talking about now, the 21st century, I say, yes, you need the Voting Rights Act. There's clearly a campaign underway to disenfranchise, I would argue, both blacks and Hispanics in the South in particular. You can track it, so I would argue yes, or there's a need for a Voting Rights Act. No, that argument you raised is not legitimate, and in any case, it's not a decision for the courts. It's a decision for the Congress. Judy Richardson is a filmmaker who produced the civil rights documentary Eyes on the Prize, a former field secretary for the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, and Charles Cobb, an author whose latest book is On the Road to Freedom, a guided tour of the Civil Rights Trail. He is also a former field secretary for the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. This is Ira Flato, host of Science Friday. For over 30 years, the Science Friday team has been reporting high-quality science and technology news, making science fun for curious people by covering everything from the outer reaches of space to the rapidly changing world of AI to the tiniest microbes in our bodies. Audiences trust our show because they know we're driven by a mission to inform and serve listeners first and foremost with important news they won't get anywhere else. And our sponsors benefit from that halo effect. For more information on becoming a sponsor, visit sponsorship.wnyc.org.